0: The following podcast contains explicit language. I want to tell you my secret now.
1: I see dead people.
0: Silent breathing people!
1: <laughs> he's my sister and my daughter! Rosebud.
0: What's in the box? And like that, he's
2: gone. Hello, and welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. I am Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and this week we will be talking about Thor Ragnarok, the latest Marvel movie directed by Taika Waititi and starring Chris Hemsworth, Tom Hiddleston, Kate Blanchett, Idris Elba, Jeff Goldblum, and others. Here to talk with me about Thor are Slate's West Kansas bureau chief, Daniel Kois. Hi, Dan.
0: Yep. I'm here in uh, western Kansas, about five hours from uh, from anything.
2: And from D.C., we have Slate's senior editor, Jonathan Fisher, who wrote our review of this film. So, Jonathan, you're going to be our go-to Marvel expert. Thanks for coming on.
1: I will do my best.
2: Before we start, I just want to remind our listeners that the Spoiler Special now has its own feed. Many of you may have been listening to us on the Culture Gab Fest feed, where we slowly reintroduced ourselves into the Slate podcast bloodstream. But if you subscribe to the Spoiler Special feed, you can find and enjoy all of our new shows and all of our archives in one place. So just search for Slate's Spoiler Special wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if you're not up on the new edition of the Spoiler Special, we release on Fridays every two weeks. All right. Before we get to spoiling, I'm just going to go around and get a quick initial reaction from you guys, pro or con. Dan? Pro. Strong pro.
0: Strong pro. Like, it's super fun, and everyone who sees it is going to have a great time. And Jonathan? Um, Definitely pro.
1: Pro.
2: Yeah, I'm going to agree. I may have res- more reservations than y'all, but I'm I'm definitely a pro too. And for me with a Marvel movie, that's going some. All right. So Dan, I know that it is longstanding spoiler special tradition that I lazily fob the plot summaries off on you, but I'm going to lazily fob on Jonathan today because he was the person who reviewed this movie and because I gather you're also something of a Marvel completist, John?
1: I don't know if completist is the term. Um, I think, um, you know, I grew up reading the comic books. Uh, as long as I've worked at Slade, I think I've been Pegged as uh, the person to give Marvel adjacent assignments, uh, and 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 in many cases, including this one, I was I've been very happy to take them.
2: Where do we find ourselves at the beginning of Thor Ragnarok, which, if we haven't mentioned, is the third Thor solo outing movie, right in the in the Marvel universe?
1: Right, it's the third one, and actually, where we find ourselves is is an interesting question because um, this movie follows the Avengers sequel from two years ago, and in that. In that movie, there was a sort of confusing scene where Thor has a, a very strange uh, hallucination involving the Infinity Stones, which are these objects that the Marvel movies have been, have been placing throughout the movies to lead up to a, a super crossover uh, coming next summer. Uh, anyway, so Thor has this hallucination. It you know puts it in his head that he should go off on some sort of quest, the nature of which we don't quite understand, um, which brings us to Thor Ragnarok, although – as far as I can tell, what he's been doing doesn't necessarily have anything to do with whatever that quest was. Um, when the film opens, he is, you know, cleaning up all kinds of dirty business around the the nine realms, which are the the sort of, you know, cosmic realms ruled by Asgard. Already, I'm giving myself a headache talking about this. <laughs> uh, and the, the point is, he, you know, he's, he's, um, you know, fighting bad guys across the universe, including uh, a big fire demon thing in in a very, uh, you know, sort of charming and and gleeful action sequence. Um, But he finds himself back on Asgard where uh, he quickly discovers that his brother Loki, who is a, you know, a trickster god, Thor, is the god of thunder, uh, has replaced their father Odin um, and squirreled him away somewhere. Um, So that sort of um, ignites the plot They travel to Earth. They um, briefly encounter uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange in a nice bit of, uh, you know, quite fun cross promotional uh, branding. Um, They find their father, who, you know, basically uh, gives a little bit of a a spiel about, um, you know, various crimes that he's committed that he's hidden from them. Um, He tells them that their sister, who they didn't know existed, has. Escape from wherever he he uh imprisoned her he uh, sort of dissipates into gold dust uh Odin has died and then uh hella
2: yeah it's I a know, really it's a really picturesque paternal death right just turn into a cloud of gold dust and float away
1: yeah set set against a sort of uh pastoral norwegian backdrop i mean I think we should all go that way um uh, anyway so then uh, Hela... hella. Uh, their sister, the goddess of death, played um, I think uh, mostly pretty deliciously by Kate Blanchett, shows up. Um, you know, basically um, kicks Thor's and, and Loki's asses.
2: Yes, and that's an important moment. She shatters the hammer, right? So, so Thor starts out the movie in the first with this in the first ten minutes of the movie or so. He he's powerless. His superpowers are gone.
1: Right, right. Um, the hammer, which only he, or at least one who is worthy, is supposed to be able to lift. Uh, only he's be, been able to do it. He throws it at her. She just catches it and breaks it. Um, you know, which I suppose tells us right away that she's pretty serious business. You know, as they attempt to transport back to Asgard, um, which they can do um, through something called the, the Bifrost. Um, she, she sort of hops on the ride, um, ejects both of them out of it. Um, she arrives in Asgard, you know, very quickly takes it over um and then um thor and loki or at least thor at, at first uh finds himself on a sort of um junkyard um you know in the middle of a wormhole strange planet uh called sakar right sakar
2: right which seems to be something like the the garbage dump planet for that sector of the universe
1: um and then um he uh, you know first he encounters um you know this this group of I, I suppose bounty hunters that to me look like Dayglow Tuscan Raiders.
2: Wait, why does he go to Sakar again? Is it, is it an accident? Does he just get coughed up there?
1: I, I think yeah, they're traveling back to Asgard, and then um, Hela just kicks him out of the uh, the, the rainbow colored tube thing, uh, and then yeah, he just lands in a, a junkyard. Uh, anyway, once there, he is he is uh, captured by uh, Valkyrie, who we will later learn is herself. Uh, from Asgard, um, he will find himself in uh, he will, he will find himself uh, captured by uh, a character called the Grandmaster, who is played again fairly deliciously by by, by Jeff Goldblum. He will become uh, a gladiator um, in in the uh, in the arena battles that the Grandmaster stages where he will find himself fighting, of all people, uh, Hulk, who we also have not seen since the last Avengers movie.
2: So so something to know about Hulk is that he's tra- he's been trapped in his Hulk body. I really like this detail of the movie for the past two years. In other words, since we last saw him in the Age of Ultron. So... He's gotten sort of it's the longest he's ever spent as the Hulk. And so there's a good deal of time spent on the psychological effects on Bruce Banner of having to Hulk out for two solid years. It's like a bender. It's sort of like a blackout the way it's portrayed. Right. Because when he comes back to his Mark Ruffalo self, eventually he doesn't remember anything that's happened during the Hulk years.
0: He says he remembers it was like Hulk was at the driver's at the wheel and he was stuck in the trunk.
2: Yeah, it's kind of frightening. Right. I mean, it's the sense that he's been like abducted from his own his own personality.
1: Yeah, it's almost um, a sort of scary detail in a generally pretty silly movie. Um, It's also interesting what they've done to the Hulk, who now, you know, speaks in fairly complete sentences, seems to have a bit more uh, personality, um, actually isn't, you know, only raging out all the time. You know, at one point we encounter him just chilling in a hot tub. Um, You know, so the the Hulk himself has, has, uh, I guess, taken advantage of those two years.
2: So... I guess that's enough enough plot summary that we can for a second stop and, and, and talk about where this movie leaves us in terms of, I mean, if you're somebody who accompanies all of these movies, how do you find yourself in a different universe here? I mean, I think everybody sort of agrees that this is the funniest Marvel Avengers movie in a while. You ask in your review, Jonathan, whether it's it's too packed with jokes, whether it's, it's possible that this is the first Marvel movie to try too hard to be funny. Of course, then there's also the sort of Guardians of the Galaxy realm, the movies that they make. That are intended to be pure comedies. Where do you guys situate this in the in in between ponderous and uh, and hearty har?
0: Uh, I I situate it right at Hardy har.
2: And do you think that's a good that's a good thing for the franchise in general to just lighten up?
0: Uh, I'll I'll let Jonathan answer for his. I mean, his review suggested that he has more mixed feelings about it, but I in it unreservedly think that this is exactly what I want out of a superhero movie. Like the goal for it seemed to me for this movie was to embrace the silliness, uh, and funniness and excitingness of great comic books. Um, and this got closer to me to the kind of sort of uh, absurd, anything goes spirit that I really liked from, uh, the wackiest of superhero comics. And, uh, and so yeah, for me it totally worked. Like I I don't know that I wish every superhero movie was like this, but I bet I wish that like 75% of superhero movies were like this, which is the occasional very serious dark one like, you know, as leavening.
2: Yeah, I think it goes down a lot easier than something like The Age of Ultron. What about you, Jonathan?
1: Yeah, I'm 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 about uh 90% uh with Dan. I I do, you know, I I did think it was it was a lot of fun. If I had a, a quibble, it was that um I, you know, it just—it it sort of felt to me after all the jokes, uh, or the, I guess the jokiness, It—it it it felt that um, I didn't really care about about Hela. It didn't really feel like that important a battle. Um, and it also felt, you know, um, you know, toward the end of the film, the the it really is making you know a big deal about you know what happens if we destroy Asgard. Can can the Asgardians continue as a people? And and the, those questions just didn't seem very important to me by the end. Um, again, it, you know, that is a minor quibble. I thought it was a ton of fun very much in the way that the first Guardians of the Galaxy film was. And I also think it's it's worth remembering that, you know, Thor himself as a character is, you know, a completely bonkers character. Um, you know, over the years, they've turned Thor into a Asgardian frog. They've turned him into this um, cyborg horse creature. Um, you know, he is like an outer space Viking. Uh, you know, so it is, it is you know, the source material is very silly, Um so, so, so I, so I, I you know, so yes, I, I was on board. And actually what I thought was the nice innovation of this film over, um, you know, the past, you know, particularly the past Thor movies and also some of the other appearances of Thor was that, um, you know, as I wrote in my review, Thor finally, you know, seemed to be in on his own joke. Um, you know, and I think some of the past movies he sort of um, has been the sort of, you know, slightly pompous, um, you know, superpowered oaf uh, that, you know. Uh, who is sort of a fish out of water. You know, here he's sort of um you not only deliver, you know, each of his his quips with 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 a wink, but he sort of seems to be aware of how disarming he is as a figure and and uses that in a humorous way, you know, as as a kind of weapon in his arsenal. And and it's and it's both, you know, charming and actually makes sense for the character.
2: Yeah.
0: So I agree with you, Jonathan, that that the jokiness means that the sort of stakes at the end feel a little bit weightless. But I guess I would counter like I don't know a superhero movie where the stakes haven't felt weightless. Like no matter how big they are, they're they're usually so big the stakes at the end of a superhero movie that they're impossible to take seriously. It is impossible to take seriously whether the Avengers will save the imaginary nation of Sokovia, you know? It's it's impossible to take seriously whether they'll rescue the Infinity Stones. Like the the stakes of a superhero movie are almost always stupid. And right, so, it's, it's like
2: they're infinitely high and they're, thereby they're infinitely low, right? Because right. it's always so, the universe that hangs in the balance.
0: Right, and so I don't really mind a movie that sort of accepts as a given that everything about it is going to be absurd. And so the point of the climax is not for us to like feel emotionally invested in whether... The villain is defeated, but instead to feel emotionally invested in the characters because we like them and we want good things to happen to them.
2: But that also means, I mean, I I agree, I would rather spend time in the fun hangout zone where this movie stays, even if it's a slightly slack zone story-wise, right? I mean, there's not a ton of forward propulsion in this movie. It really is sort of like, at times it reminded me of one of those Howard Hawks movies that are supposedly about some crime or about the newspaper business or a Western or whatever, but they're actually just about really cool actors hanging out and having fun together. And that's what the middle of this movie sort of felt like. But then that means that every superhero movie has approximately 20 minutes of huge pounding action at the end that you don't really care about. And the fact that we're all just used to swallowing that pill seems that that's something that that bothers me about all these movies, whatever tone they take for the rest of their running time.
0: So I profiled, um, Taika Waititi who directed this for the New York times magazine. And in one of our interviews, I had just watched the previous two Thor movies when I talked to him, which i had actually never seen before. Um, And I asked him, like, are there going to be as many scenes in your Thor movie of just like people punching each other like endlessly? And he was like, oh, no, 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 mate. No, there won't be. But there really were.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that that's basically in your Marvel contract, right? Like you've got he he wasn't the writer of the movie. It has a big team of writers. And I'm sure that there are certain actual, you know, talking points that you have to hit on or or whatever whacking points where you have to have a certain, <laughs> a certain amount of, uh, of face-offs at the end among big heroes. Dan, for those who don't know anything about Taika Waititi, talk a little bit about who he is and why it's unusual that he would be directing a, a Marvel movie.
0: Uh, he is a small indie director from New Zealand um, who before this uh, made four completely delightful uh, tiny movies um the most recent one was called hunt for the wilder people the one he maybe is best known for in the united states uh is called what we do in the shadows which he co-directed with Jermaine clement from uh flight to the flight of the concords everyone's favorite um, new zealander he, yes oh yeah, yeah yeah and so he directed a couple episodes of flight of the concords as well and he you know he went to college with those guys with with brit and jemaine um and he's uh, you know a very charming dude uh who is uh maori he's uh, one of the he's from a tribe of one of the native people of New Zealand, He's um, actually
2: half Maori, half Jewish, isn't that right? I just correct. I love yes. that as a, as an ethnic mix. And he goes by Taika Cohen sometimes, right?
0: Yeah, early in his comedy career in New Zealand, he went by Taika Cohen. Um, yeah, his mom is his mom is Jewish, his dad is Maori. He grew up uh, on the on the east coast of the North Island in a pretty tough part of uh, of New Zealand and pretty tough neighborhood, which he then later. Um, uh, dramatized in a way in my favorite movie of his which is called boy which i would definitely recommend everyone watch but so he just makes very broad very fun very sweet uh comedy adventures mostly and sometimes they're pure comedies like what we do in the shadows and sometimes they're more pure adventures like hunt for the wilder people but they all have really big hearts um they're all very visually inventive and fun on extremely limited budgets um, and like many directors who are sort of roped from the indie world into making big franchise blockbusters, he didn't have a huge amount of experience with, you know, grand special effects or working with huge stars or anything like that, but he had a lot of experience in making the most out of a little. Um, and so, you know, I think in the end that that really served him that he, he was a director who, who. With an ability to make a lot out of a little, when he was given a lot, he sort of went crazy and threw everything on the screen in a way that I found quite charming. So that he, you know, he was like, oh, I finally can afford three Led Zeppelin songs. Great. I'm going to put three Led Zeppelin songs in this movie.
2: Yeah. And it has that overstuffed feeling. The music is sometimes a little too on the nose, the pop music choices, but they're fun. And the colors on that planet we were talking about, Sakaar, the Jeff Goldblum's planet that's kind of the garbage dump are really toy-like and, and, and playful. So it doesn't kind of have that fog of gloom that many a Marvel movie has had visually either, and I appreciate I that. I
0: believe Fisher would confirm that what those colors are are Kirby-esque.
1: Yes, they are absolutely Kirby-esque. It definitely feels like uh, a cosmic Marvel book from the, the mid-60s, maybe early 70s, um, which is a great place for a movie to be.
0: Yeah, Taika had uh, uh, several large Jack Kirby originals Uh, on the wall of his office in the Disney lot when I interviewed him, and that was the goal, was Uh -uh. to make the most Jack Kirby uh, Marvel movie that had ever been made.
2: Nice. I would not have gotten that visual reference. So I'm glad that Jonathan wrote about this movie and not me. All right. right, We haven't talked about Tessa Thompson's character yet, Valkyrie. And I want to talk about her because she's, she's, I think, a great addition to the universe. But I also have some questions. <laughs> One of them is she is a Valkyrie, but she's also named Valkyrie. And this seems like if she needs to get her army of Valkyries together in some future movie to fight, it's going to get really confusing.
1: I think the other Valkyries are dead.
2: She's the last Valkyrie left. They were all killed in that that flashback scene that we see.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that was the idea. It, it was a little strange to me that um, Thor and Loki would know what the Valkyries are, but they didn't know who Hela was. But the Valkyries died fighting Hela. I I, I, I let it go.
2: <laughs> yeah, Asgardian history is a little little unclear in that on that matter. Also, they were need they some guardrails on their the bridge. If they would just put guardrails on their bridge in Asgard, they would save <laughs> thousands of lives, millions.
1: Or like had, had a second bridge or like, you know, one bridge under, you know, like sort of like the GW, maybe, uh, you know, a couple tiers of bridges.
2: Right. Especially if you're going to suspend it over an abyss. You you really need to think about safety. My yeah.
1: other, my at least other
0: have an HOV lane for when you got to get a lot of people to the bifrost.
1: <laughs> it just seems like, you know, the society can't really function without that bridge and it's a really vulnerable bridge.
2: Yeah, they need to rethink maybe, their maybe don't make it
1: out of glass.
2: <laughs> so my and my other question about the the Tessa Thompson character, she's funny, she's charming. There seems to be a little bit of a spark between her and Thor that may come up in later movies, or was it between her and Bruce, or was there both?
1: Both, I thought.
2: Yeah, maybe both a bit.
1: I think both. I think she's sort of, um, you know, Bruce was almost was sort of like her 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 like her her buddy. Like they, um, you know, they sort of uh, roughhouse a little bit and played around. Um, as Hulk, and that as Hulk, yes, um, and then um, yeah, it, it did seem to imply that there was you know some sort of a uh, romantic something with, with uh with with Thor at the end.
2: But whether or not that goes anywhere, she is just—I think she's just a great addition. She's sardonic and funny, and uh, and that group needs all the female superheroes who can do other interesting stuff that they can get. But I do have one question about. The family friendliness of this movie vis-a-vis the drinking of Valkyrie. I don't know if she's a character from the comic books and this is a thing that happens in the comic books and it's sort of a mid-century thing or something, but it's almost implied that guzzling entire bottles of liquor is sort of like her Popeye spinach or something, right? I mean, she doesn't seem to be affected at all, even though she says something about, oh, I drink to forget because I'm stranded on this planet and, you know, I've been exiled from Asgard, etc., it seems to be this completely positive and cute character trait that she just swigs enormous amounts of alcohol all the time. And uh, and that made me think about I mean, my kid doesn't like superhero movies anyway. But taking a kid to one of these movies that makes binge drinking look cool is am I being a total school marm?
0: Uh Well, she does fall off the ramp of her ship when we first meet her. So it's not exactly her Popeye spinach. Um, I can confirm, based on the reactions of the two children I attended Ragnarok with last night, that they find Valkyrie hilarious uh, and pretty much glossed over the drinking part of her in all their descriptions of her afterwards. So that, I, I mean, you're not being schoolmarmish in the sense that I would, I would prefer if all my female heroes did not guzzle entire bottles of liquor <laughs> in like one shot, but... I think they correctly pegged her as like a over the top comic hero who they loved for her like wit and badassery and then
1: didn't really care about the other stuff in, in fairness uh thor does it too
2: does he
0: well he he like he, he loves his beer
1: yeah uh, when he was uh you know in during the dr strange uh uh sequence uh dr strange uh gives him a um a flagon of beer and then uh, magically refills it.
2: Ah, that's right, that's right. After, but but after he is and he is affected by it, right? Doesn't he get a little bit schnockered by the end of that scene?
0: Yeah, we're meant to believe that he uh, drank that a little fast, maybe on an empty stomach after right. after a ride on the Bifrost. Like that'll do that'll do <laughs> you in.
2: All right, I think we should start getting to some second half of the movie spoilers now. Um, one of the big things that surprised me in the last part of this movie in the in the final battle. Is that Thor loses an eye? It's one of the first kind of permanent injuries that we've seen one of the Avengers incur in one of these movies, and I guess we have to presume that going forward in the franchise, he's going to be one-eyed Thor.
0: Yeah, is that I cannot? I can't remember, John, because I was not much of a Thor reader. Is he? Does he have a patch in most of the comics?
1: I can't remember that that ever happening. I mean, I think. Um, it, yeah. I suppose it's uh, I can't remember that happening. It, it, it might have at some point. Um, I, if it ever did, it wasn't permanent. and I assume when that happened, oh that he'll have that eye back in a second. Um, but you know I think obviously it happened because um, I think it was part of him, you know obviously his missing eye mirrors Odin's missing eye um, And in the end of the film, spoiler, you know Thor finally uh, accepts the, the throne that he had you know, more or less spurned in earlier films and earlier in this one. Um, so I think, you know, part of it was, um, you know, it, you know, suggested that he, you know, was finally going to, to take Odin's place in in a meaningful way.
0: I like the eye too, as a sort of more serious version of the comical body change that he had to undergo earlier in the movie, uh, when, when he gets his haircut. Now the haircut scene is not great in that it is this movie's stupid Stanley cameo. um, I mean, it was less stupid than most of the Stan Lee cameos in Marvel movies, but it was still stupid. But the moment of him getting his haircut uh, and the reveal of that, even though it was in trailers, was pretty great. And like our the audience in my theater went like bananas when the camera panned up on him to see that they had, as Tyka said to me, that they had Ragnarok Thor's hair. <laughs> and that I liked that. Uh, that at the end of the movie, there's like a a real, actual physical change. Um, that symbolizes some actual growth on the part of the character as opposed to just sort of the comical uh, haircut that he dealt with so poorly.
2: Right, and he's going to have a whole new moral charge going forward because essentially his entire planet is loaded at the end onto this giant ship and sent off into space, so he is now in charge of this diaspora of Asgardians across the universe and has to find their home.
0: Apparently they're headed for Earth.
2: I love Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner. He really is I think the heart maybe of 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 this that core group of Avengers, and I also just love the fact that he has total dad bod and he has fluffy gray chest hair and he is not going to a gym to turn into you know captain America he's just he's just himself.
0: He doesn't have to uh this movie has a bunch of really great gags about hulking um I have no idea, John, if any of them are canon or if like or if the physiognomy of hulking has ever been addressed in the comics uh but there's just all this great stuff about how he you know there's a moment where he gets really angry about something as bruce banner and all of a sudden like all the veins in his in his neck turn green uh and and hulk gets like bitten by a giant dog and it turns out his blood is green i don't know if we knew that before um and there's that great scene where he leaps out of the plane because he knows that on his way down he'll hulk out and he'll land as Hulk, but instead he just <laughs> splats as Banner on the Rainbow Bridge.
1: Yeah, that was that was that was great. Um, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, that was a that was a lot of fun. I think I think there might have been a dick joke too. Um, oh, there was definitely a dick joke. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, I have to say that I'm really glad that that Taika Waititi did this movie. It's really playful, and he brings a lot to it. But I do hope he doesn't get swallowed up by giant genre movies because. There is something about his voice when he makes those small comedies that I would love for him to to keep out in the world and not just have to infuse kind of secretly into movies that have a lot of other requirements of the director as well.
0: Oh man, me too. So like this was not, I did not end up including this in my profile because it's still all up in the air. But so in my final interview with him, I asked him what he's up to and he has a sort of long lead project which is going to take four or five years which is a stop motion animation Film that he's co-directing with a guy who worked on um, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, who did some of the stop motion for that, um, which is small and Taika-ish. It's uh, uh, it's about Michael Jackson's Chimp Bubbles, so that's sort of the long thing on on his plate that he'll be working on over the next five years. But he plans to have movies in between. And I asked him, you know, are those going to be big? Are you are are you planning on doing another huge thing like this? And he said, no, I'm not. I, hope, I want the next thing I do to be small, to be something I write. I have a bunch of things in the hopper that I'm hoping that one of them will come through. And, you know, I thought, same as you, Dana. Like, great. That's exactly what I want you to do next. But then, like, three days later, there was suddenly a week of coverage that he's in talks to direct Akira. So, and, like, the idea of him directing Akira is so uninteresting to me that I desperately hope he does not do that. But it's still up in the air what he will actually do.
2: Oh, yeah. That Bubbles project sounds – as a huge fan of Fantastic Mr. Fox and and Stop Motion in general, I really, really hope he gets that done.
1: I would just quickly throw out that actually one of the best uh, characters in the whole film is the one that is voiced by Taika Waititi himself, which is Korg, who is a uh, sort of soft-spoken, naive, uh, vaguely revolutionary-minded rock creature. Um, and he's one of the fellow gladiators uh, that Thor encounters on Sakaar and um, he's just so strange and 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 weird and, and unexpected. And actually, you know, in a lot of ways, I think you know, kind of similar to what this film does with Thor and Hulk in like a concentrated way, which is sort of take these, um, in theory, sort of like you know, alpha male characters, and uh, you know, finds a way to to, to, to leaven them with um, you know whether it's 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 through humor or personality quirk or um, or, or something else. Um, but it's just he, he's just he's just, it's just a very funny character. It's um you know completely out of nowhere um and, and and I love that little touch.
2: Yeah, I love the playfulness of the the discord between his voice and his his look. Right, he's this massive looming rock creature, and then he has a little high squeaky voice that's very sweet
0: with a very thick New Zealand accent. Yeah, you're right, John. That they leaven these characters in interesting ways with Cor with gentleness. Like he, I mean, we do see him in battle, and he's fierce. But he also is like a he's like a mother hen to all the gladiators in the in the ring on Sakaar. Uh And then later he uh, he just carries his friend around who he thinks he accidentally stepped on and killed um, because he just felt pretty bad about it. Um, he definitely seems in a delightful way, I think, sort of like transplanted from, you know, if there was a rock monster and what we do in the shadows, he would have been exactly like this. Um and he's really funny and and as with much of this movie um a lot of his dialogue Taika's dialogue in that character was improvised um and you know Taika doesn't have a writing credit to address something you talked about before Dana but he did a pass on the script he was obviously in the year he spent in post production on this very engaged in honing the story but a lot of this movie more even than many marvel movies where a lot of improvisation happens unlike sort of other franchises a lot of this movie was improvised uh it seems to me that almost everything jeff goldblum said he made up on the spot based on a vague outline that was handed to him um and every pretty much everything the Korg says and i think a lot of those moments are um and you know one thing i like about a movie like this is that it takes the sort of spirit of improvisation and comedy and film comedy that's become the sort of dominant mode over the last 10 or 15 years because of the Judd Apatow movies, and it forces it to become a little bit more honed and lean than those movies make it, you know, than it is in those movies in a Judd Apatow movie. You know, this was just as funny, I think, as a as a really good movie from the Apatow farm, um, but because... It was an action movie and had to get in a bunch of action sequences. It actually ended up being like shorter than Knocked Up, and so uh, and so seeing like that kind of discipline, the kind of Marvel discipline of well, we got to get through these jokes really fast because we have to get to this action scene. I think is a great way of employing the modern mode of film comedy in a sort of interesting new way.
1: What what did you guys think about about Kate Blanchett? You know, I thought that um, she was pretty delicious and fun and. It was kind of exciting to see her as this, um, you know, exasperated tyrant. Um, there wasn't a lot of her and um, she was sort of fun in a much different register than the rest of the movie.
2: Right. Well, she didn't um, get to be one of those hangout people, right? She didn't get to be part of the sort of Sakar hangout. Let's all josh each other because she was this evil goddess from another realm. So as soon as she came on the scene, I agree that it was always total fun to see her. And she really seemed to love playing a a, a big giant villainous like that. But the energy did go out of the film a little when she appeared just because you knew that we were getting into ponderous Asgard battle mode. There was a wonderful special effect associated with her that I loved, which was the way she could turn her her long flowing black hair into black antlers just by kind of smoothing it back. That was just just such a, a cool move.
0: Yeah, I, uh, you know, we're now what? We're like 14 movies into this like Marvel sequence. and 16? Isn't it 16? 16? Yeah, it's 16. So we now have had 16 consecutive lame ass villains in the Marvel <laughs> universe. Like, you know, she is totally fun to watch. Uh, you're right, Dana, that those that every time it cut back to Asgard, everyone in our audience, including my kids, like was audibly ready for it to go back to Sakaar because that was so much more fun. Um and the effects were great and, you know, she's like daunting. She can definitely kill lots of people she's the god goddess of death uh but yeah i she was not that exciting of a villain and and i and at this point it seems like basically that's not really uh a, a bug of marvel movies but it, it i think it must be a feature like that must it, i sort of wonder if it isn't intentional if the idea is it isn't that the if you create a truly memorable like f- amazing villain the rules of franchises mean that that villain has to like all the other fan favorite characters come back a million goddamn times and so i wonder if like the disposability of these villains isn't like a way that marvel keeps the the, the franchise boat from getting even huger than it would be otherwise.
2: Right. And so that also means in a way that you have to have a comic villain or some sort of more likable villain to counterbalance the boring, ponderous villain, which would be Jeff Goldblum in this movie, right? And Jeff right. Goldblum is so endearing that you can see him becoming a fan favorite and people saying, hey, I want that guy back again, because he has that Jeff Goldblum way of delivering every line. I mean, as as you say, Dan, maybe he was improvising them, but Jeff Goldblum always has that style of seeming to have just wandered onto the set to sort of say his own wisecracks.
0: Right, like he did his makeup himself.
1: It's actually telling that you know the only successful Marvel villain, or the only villain that I really thought was you know was sort of um, you know the, the, whose character really sang was uh, the Michael Keaton character in Spider Man Homecoming, and you, and uh, they did not kill off that villain,
2: and so he may come back for future episodes.
1: Right, right. So maybe maybe your your theory uh, your your theory is right.
0: Yeah, and that's they're definitely you know three Guardians of the Galaxy movies from now. Jeff Goldblum is going to show up and that'll be great. Uh, but like, I don't want, I don't want Hella to be the villain in some other Marvel movie. I don't want Ultron to be the villain in some other Avengers movie. Like, I just want those guys gone. Right. Cause I want, I want the hangout time with the heroes who I actually like. And then, I want the villain to be eliminated as quickly as possible.
2: But that adds on to my theory that the last 20 minutes of every Marvel movie are just kind of pointless, expensive action that no one cares about. It seems like they could just be shopped out and, you know, and we could extend the hangout time indefinitely.
0: Or you could just leave early. I mean, you could just like get a, get a, get a jump on traffic. Yeah. It honestly wouldn't,
2: it wouldn't affect the review that much because I think I could write with confidence. Then there is incoherent action
1: for 20 minutes. And the villain <laughs> dies. But, th- but, th- but then you would miss the stinger scenes and you wouldn't know what's going to happen next summer.
0: But
2: I watch the That's stinger true. scenes and I have no idea what's going on. And then while everyone oohs and ahs,
0: so it would be the same difference. Yeah. What was that big ship? Do you know, John? Like, I think it was something related to, to
1: Thanos, who is the villain. And I think it was something related to Thanos, who will be the villain in Avengers Infinity War and who has who appeared in uh, the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie and also appeared at the end of the first Avengers movie.
2: You know, there's actually a joke about this very thing we're talking about, about this sort of incomprehensible franchisee, junky loudness of the end of every Marvel movie in a line that Bruce Banner says after he first comes out of his Hulk self, which I loved, where he goes, is Sokovia all right? Do we save Sokovia? Which is the completely implausible city at the end of, I guess, Age of Ultron that they physically lift off of its planet and, and move to another place. And which we've all forgotten about because it's part of the boring 20 minutes of the end of that movie. So the fact that Bruce Banner is still worried about it and Thor is saying that was two years ago, man, who cares? Is really it was really kind of a nice joke of the franchise on itself. What's coming up next for Marvel,
1: John? Oh, man, there's so many movies. I, I think the next movie is is uh, Infinity War, um, which is <laughs> um, that is just
2: that's just begging for wisecracking titles from reviewers. The Infinity War that we're all engaged in.
0: It would seem like that would be the last Marvel movie, but it's not.
2: <laughs> yeah. Infinity war too. No. And in fact, more I, I, infinity.
1: And in fact, yeah. Yeah. I think that there is a, there is like an, an uh, a year or two later sequel to that, which was originally going to be infinity Two, um, And now it'll be called something else. Um, but yeah, I, I'm uh, that's, I'm pretty sure that's the next movie coming out next spring. It, Basically, stars everyone, all of the Avengers, uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, you know the smaller characters like Ant-Man, um, Doctor Strange, um, uh, and it seems yeah, and, and it seems like at the end of this movie, after the credits, um, uh, Thor's ship carrying all of Asgard does encounter um, some sort of ship related to that.
2: Yeah, it's worth knowing if you're one of those people who stays through the infinity credit sequence for the stingers that there are two stingers in this movie, right? There's one sort of midway through the credits and then there's another one at the very end. So if you want to pack in all of your possible glimpses of, of future movies and characters, you got to stay a long time.
0: Before Infinity War – so John's right that Infinity War comes out in the spring, but before that there's um, oh, Black right. Panther, which, had, which the trailer for which appeared – before Ragnarok the theater that I saw it in and Black Panther is one of the the Marvel movies that is is making Marvel sort of continuously interesting to me in the same way that this did you know that has a hero of color um, and that is directed by a director of color and then later in 2019 we have Ms. Marvel which is going to be Marvel's first female superhero standalone movie Captain Marvel this current captain marvel i'm sorry ms marvel is a totally different person um they're hard to keep the hard to keep separate Um, uh, but yeah captain marvel starring brie larson um and that's also that's directed by ryan fleck and anna boden who did half nelson and so the this sort of creep of more and more interesting um more and more diverse directors not only their identities, you know, their uh, their national or racial identities, but also their sort of film identities and their film histories is one thing that keeps Marvel seeming interesting to me. So, you know, that Infinity War movie is obviously going to be gigantic, and it's directed by Joe and Anthony Russo, who've done a million Marvel movies. And that will be the thing that sort of pushes the Marvel engine forward into their fabled phase three of Marvel filmmaking. But it's the little movies in between that have the chance to change the tone like this one does or to change the kinds of faces you see in a Marvel movie that that keep sort of the entire franchise more vibrant than other giant, boring franchises, I think.
2: Yeah, I'm surprised to find myself agreeing with you. I remember, I will never forget the day that Marvel DC Marvel rolled out their their. I don't know what you call it, their slate of movies for the next 10 years or something like that. I think this was in, like, 2015. And just every film critic I know just had this horrible sense of ennui, like the march of time that lies ahead, the infinity march to the end of these movies. Um, but I really do think that the infusion of talent from different sectors of, you know, I mean... Of, of the film universe and different races and different genders has infused some new life into the franchise. And I no longer feel that I will drag myself with total dread to infinity war or whatever the next installment may be.
0: I mean, Danny, you're going to hate infinity war, but yes.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, I hope the next time there is a Marvel release that the two of you will come back together to talk about it because this was a a really fun conversation.
0: I'll join that super team. (gasps) All right. Sign me up.
2: All right. And to all of y'all listening, thank you for listening to the Spoiler Special. You can subscribe to us in the Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like this show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil or if you have any other feedback to share, you can send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer today is Benjamin Frisch. For Dan Kois and Jonathan Fisher, I'm Dana Stevens. Thanks for
0: listening